Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15, which will be our focal scripture this morning. We read together Paul's writings. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness, and let me pause at that point to say that the word translated righteousness may just as easily be translated benevolence. So the scripture writer links benevolence and righteousness. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of his ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The word of God for the people of God. Less than a month ago, many of us gathered in the church parking lot over here for an exciting evening of trunk or treat. We were visited by a wonderful band of little goblins, most of whom brought their parents with them. And as they progressed from trunk to trunk, and held, held open their pumpkin sacks, we could often hear the parents coaching them, say thank you, say thank you, 
And they were thanks, thank, thankful for those snicker bars and jelly beans and all of those other goodies that were dropped into those sacks. When we say thank you, we are recognizing at least two things. We are acknowledging that we have been given something beneficial to us, or at least something that tastes good. Our dentist friend here on the front row might question whether all of these treats are beneficial to them, but nevertheless, they were tasty. We acknowledge that we have been given something that has helped us or something we enjoy. And the second thing is, we acknowledge that there is a source of that gift. We acknowledge that we have been given a gift, but when, when we say thank you, we are acknowledging that there is a giver of the gift. It is entirely appropriate for us to celebrate Thanksgiving Day as we do in this country and as we have for many, many years. In those early years of European settlement, Thanksgiving was proclaimed not for the abundance of things we possessed, but for mere survival. This probably explains not only the origin of Thanksgiving here, but also its proliferation. As school children, many of us were told that the first Thanksgiving was held in Massachusetts in 1621. We who live in Virginia know, of course, that it happened well before then. It happened in 1607 with the settling of Jamestown and in the years following. But the residents of St. Augustine, Florida, say that the thank first Thanksgiving service was held May the 7th, 1565, in that city, but what do they know? <laughs> it seems to me that rather than trying to print, pinpoint where and where, uh, where and when the first Thanksgiving took place on North American soil, it is better to understand that thinking human beings have always and everywhere been aware that they have been blessed by an almighty, beneficent giver. The ancient Israelites were certainly aware of their gifts and of the giver of those gifts. As King David was preparing for the building of the temple, his final instruction was that the Levites whose responsibility it was to prepare for the worship and lead the worship, should stand each morning and evening, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that they should stand each morning and evening and offer praise and thanksgiving to God. Moreover, as a part of the worship that took place in the temple, 
readings were offered, responsive readings or antiphonal readings. We don't know exactly how all of this happened, but a priest or a group would read and the other would follow. The call to worship which we read this morning was itself one of these antiphonal readings that had its origin in the temple worship as the people expressed their thanksgiving to God. In writing to the Corinthian church, the words which we read this morning, Paul underscores that thanksgiving is a core value of the Christian church. And we witnessed the practice of thanksgiving as it seeped into the very DNA of the church, not as a specific day set aside to offer praise and thanksgiving, nor as a responsibility of a group or committee of the church to express this for the sake of the church, but it is the very essence of who we are as Christians. So let's look more closely at the words which we read a few moments ago. We may find it curious that Paul fuses thanksgiving with our giving. Now, we understand that fusing thanksgiving with God's giving to us, that's reasonable. God gives to us, we offer thanks to God. But Paul fuses our thanksgiving to God with what we give to others. Using the obvious logic of agriculture, that the more we plant, the more we harvest, he applies this spiritually as well. How much we sow is up to us, of course. And because of this, it is easy for many of us to assume that we are responsible for the harvest. The harder we work, the more we get. The more we plant, the more we reap. That's reasonable. But Paul reminds us that God is the source of all things. Food, material things, needs of all kinds. And he points out that giving is our choice. He ties the amount that we receive and our thanksgiving, the amount that we give with the amount that we receive. Now, I don't believe that one can develop a formula for giving and receiving like, you know, if you give X, you will receive X plus Y squared. But I do believe Paul is exactly right. 
that there's a link between giving and receiving from God. Fifty years ago now, as Connie and I were preparing to get married, our 50th anniversary will happen on June 1st of next year. I don't know how that happened so long ago, but nevertheless, as we were preparing to get married, she said, will we tithe? And I answered in the affirmative. She said, giving me a hint about her attention to details, she said, will we tithe on the net or on the gross? I said, do we want to be blessed on the net or on the gross? <laughs> Simple to me. And as I say, we're not always blessed in kind, but the Bible promises that, that our generosity returns to us in blessings we receive. There were, of course, requirements in the Old Testament about giving. Some estimate that up to 30% at times, 30% of a farmer's income was required in tithe, uh, depending on how you look at the requirements. And Jesus seems to affirm this tithe idea when in Matthew 23, 23, he's talking about the Pharisees, and he says to them, you tithe the tiniest seeds. This you ought to have done, but you should not have neglected the weightier matters, matters like generosity and concern for your fellow man. But here Paul is saying to us, giving is a matter of your choice because God doesn't want to compel you to give. He doesn't want to make it a commandment to give. He wants you to give out of sheer gratitude and love. Pay attention to verse 11. It creates a question for us. Paul writes, You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. And the question that comes to me is, will we be enriched in every way because of our great generosity? Or will we be enriched in order to be so generous? Whichever it is, the result is thanksgiving to God. 
Verse 11, those who receive what we give will thank God because of us. In verse 12, when we give, we not only provide to others what they need, but because of this, they open themselves to a new awareness of God and thank God abundantly. In verse 13, when we have opportunity to give and respond in obedience to what we believe God wants us to do, we glorify God and verify that we truly believe what we profess to believe. In verse 14, our giving causes others to long to be with us and to be one of us and to pray for us. In verse 15, he summarizes it all. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As we anticipate Thanksgiving Day, as we focus on all of those reasons for which to be thankful, key among them is that Jesus Christ has given himself for us and promised us through faith in him everlasting life. As most of you know, the authors of what we now call the New Testament wrote in the common language of the day, Greek. And the Greek word for thanksgiving is eucharisto, from which we get the word eucharist, a word used by many Christian traditions for the Lord's Supper. So our sense of thanksgiving to God and Christ's sacrifice on the cross are linked even by the word used to describe them both. Eucharizo. And while we have not celebrated the ordinance of the Lord's Supper today, we have certainly witnessed the other ordinance as with pure joy. We witnessed Harper's baptism, which itself points to our gratitude to Christ and the eternal life he promised. For baptism illustrates that we have died to our old selves and arisen to new life in Christ. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's say it together. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift.